0: Let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we get ready for this morning's message. Lord, we cry out to you, and you are so good. And you've moved mountains, Lord. And Father, we are calling upon you and asking for your grace and your mercy and lives that need to be opened up and broken for you, Lord. I know that there's... Uh, heavy hearts, Father, over maybe a a friend or a a family member that's running from the Lord right now. Lord, we pray for just a a breaking of their heart. We pray for a, a turning around point where they would just run back to Jesus they would find the truth of jesus and then you would heal them and restore them lord for some that are sick right now maybe surgeries or facing cancer right now lord we just pray your are healing over them through the blood of jesus would you restore their bodies would you renew them give them strength and encouragement right now uh, father we just come alongside of them and lift them up to you uh, father we just thank you for your goodness you are so good Father, right now I pray for our children and our youth as well, Lord, that they would be bold in their faith, that they would love you with all their heart, Father, that they would see, hey, I've got a mission wherever I'm at to to share the good news and the hope of Jesus with those that are around me. Father, we thank you that we can equip and minister and build disciples, and Father, just every dollar that comes in, Father, may it used for your glory, for your namesake. We lift high the name of Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. If you uh, want to pull out your Bibles we're in the book of Acts we're in uh, chapter one we I know in chapter one two weeks ago when we started this series we talked about the movement the mission of the church okay and how we're a part of the movement and now we are looking at last week we looked at Acts chapter 2 we saw the launch of the church, the launch of the Holy Spirit we're actually going back to chapter one at the end of chapter one and we're going to see what the foundation of this whole movement is and that's the Word of God, and I pray that that way we understand why we trust and why we know the Bible. So, what we're going to kind of deal with today is why believe the Bible, okay? Why trust that the apostles, you know, wrote as an authority from God? And I got to tell you, sometimes I'll admit I'm a little bit bewildered sometimes when I hear Christians try to defend why they use the Bible as their, uh, you know, their authority. Because I can understand almost why a lot of skeptics don't really take us very seriously. Because you ask a lot of Christians, why do you believe the Bible? And they'll say something like, because it's the Word of God. And then they'll say, you know, well, how do you know it's the Word of God? And you'll say, because it says so, right? It says it's the word of God. And so, you know, how do you know it's true? Well, because it's the word of God. And we kind of go in this circle. We just kind of keep saying, because it's the word of God. And, you know, that's why it kind of appears from the outside world that we really have no reason to believe other than this is just something that was passed down. My parents said it this way, I believe them, I'm going to trust them, and so we need to know why the Bible is real and trustworthy, and so that's what we're going to dig into today. So if you have Acts chapter 1, I'm going to read the second part, 12 through 26, and that's where we're going to dive in. So here's what we're going to, it'll be on the screen as well. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. Verse 13. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying Peter and John and James and the rest of the twelve disciples, minus Judas. Verse 14. And all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was about 120 and said, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Verse 17, for he was numbered among us and allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, Falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his boughs gushed out. Not a verse probably you memorize very often. Verse 19, we'll continue on. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that this field was called in their own language, which means the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it and let one another take his office. Verse 21 now, and so Peter said, one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Verse 22, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to the resurrection. Verse 23, and they put forward two, Joseph called uh, uh, Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, this guy didn't know what he really wanted to be called, a little bit of an identity issue there, And, um, and then Matthias. In verse 24, and they prayed and said, you Lord, you know the hearts of all, show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lots fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. And I'm pretty sure the other guy said it's an honor just to be nominated. So... um why is this story in there? Why is this story, you know, does it teach us how to pick a successor? Does it teach us, you know, how to um, pick a boyfriend or a girlfriend that we need to learn how to roll dice, okay? That's not why it's in there. Some of these things in Acts are actually just descriptive, not prescriptive. They just kind of describe actually what took place, and it's in there because this, because it happened, And one of the things I think you can glean from this is the apostles viewed scripture as how also how they saw themselves. So I want you to know, this is the only place we see Matthias actually mentioned in the whole of scripture. So today we're going to break this down. I'm going to break it into four parts. If you want to take notes, there's a little section in your bulletin you can take notes with. But this is how we know the Bible became the authoritative divine guide for Christians. So one, we're going to look at how the apostles saw the Old Testament... We're also going to look at the authority, kind of the apostles assumed in writing the New Testament, the new scriptures. Then we're going to look at some of the contradictions, how to, you know, resolve some of those contradictions in scripture. And I also want to uh, kind of a reason skeptics to consider the apostles' bold claims to the authority that they had to write the scriptures. So that's how we're going to wrestle with this today. And so number one, I want you to see how was the apostles saw the Old Testament scriptures. And there's two parts to this, okay? The first part is that the Old Testament scriptures authenticated the prophecies about Jesus, okay? Acts chapter 1, verse 16, if you wanna go back, Peter quotes a psalm, okay? It says, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, uh, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. So the apostles saw the whole Old Testament as a book of prophecies given about by the Holy Spirit predicting the coming of Jesus. Bible scholars tell us that there are right at 322 prophecies that describe for us the character and the nature of the coming Messiah, as well as giving us specific details about his birth and his life and his death. And so we have all of that. The fulfillment of these prophecies proved to them that Jesus was from God. And that's very key. Let me help you get this a little bit. Okay. If you went to Washington DC, there's actually a new museum. It's one of the newer ones. It's called the CIA Museum. It's the spy museum. Okay. Pretty cool museum. In there, I want you to know what You can learn about these agents and double agents. Well, what I learned is that there's a double agent that wanted to reveal something to the CIA. They would usually give them several layers by which to identify themselves. And so that there was no chance that they would get the wrong guy. And so. One example, there was a particular Soviet double agent that was wanting to give some information. Well, they came up with six prearranged signs to accomplish if he really is who he is. So one, he was to go to Mexico City. Two, he was to contact a certain guy in the city and let him know he was there and identify himself as I. Jackson. Third, he had to go after three days, he was to go to a specific place in the city Four, he was to stand in front of the statue of Columbus, and five, with his middle finger placed in this guidebook, he was to approach somebody asking for directions. And number six, he was to stay at the statue and say when somebody came up to him, what a magnificent statue, and that he was from Oklahoma. And then they knew they had their guy. So he had to do those six things to prove who he was. Friends, there's 322 prophecies about Jesus Christ, okay? Um, We got Micah 5.2, where Jesus, you know, was uh, said to be from Bethlehem. That happened, okay? Zechariah 11, he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. That happened. Malachi 3.1, he would uh, be, you know... uh, be preceded by john the baptist that happened so scripture confirms and confirms again to help you get the odds of this just being some kind of coincidence let me tell you this is what it would be you would take four states you would take kansas um let's take uh you know nebraska iowa and colorado and you would put quarters you would fill up the whole four states with quarters two feet high to your knees okay? And then you would throw, you would paint one quarter purple, and you would throw it out there and bury it wherever you want to bury it. Then you would take a blind person, and they would walk out there and say, go pick out the purple quarter. That's the odds of this just being some kind of coincidence, friend. So therefore, the, it definitely authenticates in a, the prophecies about Jesus the Old Testament scriptures do. The second thing I want you to see about the Old Testament scriptures is that it was the words from the Holy Spirit, okay? So look again at Acts 1:16. Brothers, the scriptures had to be filled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas. So Peter here quotes Psalm from David, but he says it's the Holy Spirit's words. So which was it? Psalm 69, is it David's or is it the Holy Spirit's? The answer is yes. Okay, you would say, you know, how can it be simultaneously the word of God and the word of man? Let me give you an example, okay? Um, Say you have a child, a little baby that turns about one years old. When they turn about one years old, they start to walk a little bit and stumble. Okay, so their legs are walking, but my hand is guiding them. So is it me taking them somewhere or is that, you know, the little child walking there? The answer is both okay? We're, we're needing both. And so th- people would, you know, kind of understand how could fallible men produce an infallible document? The answer is people, well, the, the Holy Spirit was inspiring the apostles, okay? And some people want to say, you know, the, the stuff that the man wrote is all wrong and the stuff that the Holy Spirit wrote down is the, you know, inerrant part, but that would be, you know, kind of a bad example. Think about Jesus, Okay? Jesus was fully man and fully god okay so did the human flesh on Jesus make him fallible no even though he had you know this fallible human flesh on him his divinity was made perfect so he would never sin and the same is true of the bible it's not the bible writers that then themselves were infallible it was because they were under the influence of the holy spirit that the scriptures are inerrant and infallible, okay? So, 2 Peter one twenty one. I want to read this for you. It says, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Greek word for carried along is Pharaoh, okay? Carried along. It's a word you would use when you were sailing a ship. You were just kind of carried wherever the wind goes, and that's what it's kind of talking about. God would carry their words to the exact destination of his choosing, and that doesn't mean that sometimes the Bible doesn't use uh, our, our everyday language, such as metaphors and figures of speech. The law of the Lord is perfect, and it revives our souls. And all scripture is God-breathed, and it's an inspiration uh, through faith, conduct, for instruction in righteousness. That's what we have in the word of God. And so the Bible, they saw it, I want you to know, as divine, as words from God. Friends, we need to see it that way too. So we need to soak it in. We need to own it. We need to love it, memorize it, you know, devour the word of God. So that's number one, how they viewed the, the Old Testament. The second thing I want you to see is the authorities of the apostles assumed for writing this new scripture, the New Testament. Peter says, if you want to go back to Acts chapter 1, go to verse 21 and 22. This is what he says. So one of the men who was accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men must become witnesses um, with us to the witness of the resurrection. So Jesus had 12 uh, apostles, Okay corresponding to the 12 tribes of Israel. God said, that that would be my authoritative representation. So Peter felt like, you know what? Judas is gone. We need a 12th man now. So he says, you know what? Who's going to be that? Well, it's going to be someone who was an official witness to the resurrection. And you say, where did that promise come from? Well, I'm going to give you two scriptures where that came from. John 14, 26 says this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit's gonna bring it to remembrance. all that you need to know. And then Matthew 16, 19 says this, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. These apostles had the authority to write authoritatively and declare God's judgment. So we need to know that. One more verse I want you to see that's kind of interesting as well. 2 Peter chapter 3. This is what it says. Our beloved brother, Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him as he does in all his letters when he speaks. So all the apostles were, you know, with Jesus, right? So they knew and they testified. He's now verifying Paul's teaching as well. He says there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. Now first of all you should be encouraged. Do you ever struggle to understand scripture? I mean there's some passages you get to you're like what? You know Romans chapter 9 you know, even second Peter's pretty hard, you know, but here he's saying I know some of those passages Paul's right it's pretty hard, but then he ends this verse with saying as they do the other scriptures so he's absolutely verifying that Paul is writing under the authority of those apostles, okay? Under the leading of the Holy Spirit to verify that it's scripture just like the other scriptures. So that's the, the, I want you to know why they have authority to write scriptures. The third thing we're gonna wrestle with is that sometimes you might have heard that there's contradictions in God's word. So the resolution how, of an apparent contradiction a lot of people will say, you know what, I, I'm, I don't listen to the Bible. It, I heard it contradicts itself. So I say, you know, where does it contradict itself? Nine out of 10 times, they have no clue where it contradicts themselves. Why? Because they don't read the Bible, right? They just kind of think, you know what, that's what someone told me. So therefore they just throw it out. But if they do come up with something that's a contradiction, a lot of times it's actually this, Um, Nicholas over here, he actually asked me this question last week, and I thought, well, let's look at it. Matthew chapter 27 says that Judas died by hanging himself, okay? This passage in Acts says that, however, he fell off a cliff and his bowels burst out. Matthew says that the money Jesus earned for betraying Jesus would be thrown into the temple and that then the Jewish authorities went and purchased to buy a field of land, okay? But here, when Peter retells the story in Acts, he says that, you know, basically, Judas bought the land with his 30 pieces of silver. So did Judas buy the land and the field, or did he throw the money back? Which one's true? We have this contradiction. Well, not necessarily. I want you to see. Here's the deal. I know this could be kind of descriptive, but when you hang yourself, if, if your body stays that way for a long time, the body actually swells up, and eventually the branch would break, and he would fall down, and it probably ruptured his abdomen and spleen, and his gut spilled out. And possibly it was over a, you know, a small cliff. The money situation, I want to explain to you. One writer says that, you know, if you just threw it back, and another one says he bought it. So which one took place? Well, what probably happened is Judas threw the money back, and the Jewish authorities went and purchased the land, but Peter tells the story here in Acts, and he says, you know what? He just shortens it. He says, Judas bought the field, since the money he had earned, you know, selling Jesus out was for those evil purposes. Now, I know that, I want you to know, sometimes you think there's contradictions, but the deal is, is, I want you to know, there's, there's, plausible explanations. There's ways to resolve those explanations in scripture. And so I just want you to know that that should not be something that holds us back from seeing God's word as true. The fourth part I want us to see this morning is that sometimes there's a reason for skeptics to consider the apostles' claims to the authority. And one of you, you know, if you're one of those skeptics that says, well, I just don't believe the apostles' claims for speaking the word of God, that's, you know, lots of people have done that over the years. They've claimed to speak for God. Who else? Muhammad, you know, Joseph Smith has done that. So I'm not going to believe the Bible because it claims to be the word of God. Well, if that's you, I want you to look into it a little bit more. Look at Peter's claim about the Bible. Go back to Acts 1 verse 21 and 22. This is what it says. So one of the men who accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, Beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to the resurrection. The apostles had to be eyewitnesses to the resurrection and the ministry of Jesus Christ. So if you look at the intro book, the intro book of Acts is actually Luke. Remember I talked about that. It's two-volume set, Luke and Acts. Luke 1 1 says this Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who have from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all of these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So in other words, I've been compiling a list of eyewitness accounts, okay? So if you want to consider before the Bible is the Word of God, just consider it as a series of eyewitness accounts that literally happened. And that will change how you view the scriptures and Jesus Christ. So if they are truly witnessed from the apostles, you have God doing something supernatural with the person of Jesus Christ. And then you have to consider whether the Bible is an accurate recording of the message to mankind. And here's what today's argument is against the Bible. This is what most people would say, that it's just a myth and a legend, okay? And the theory goes that the first Christians believed Jesus was a really nice guy. He was a little bit of a hippie, maybe. And, uh, you know, he had some important religious things to say. But over time, Christians invented the stories about his power and his divinity to beef up their claims to authority and really gradually grasp at power themselves. So real quickly, as the, time, uh, the rest of our time I'm going to give you four defenses against that this is some kind of myth or legend. And I think it's important to know so that we can understand this is God's word and it's true. So number one, I want you to see the timing of the writing is way too early for the gospels to be a legend, okay? The books of the Bible were written around 30 years after the death of Jesus, some as early as 20 years after, some as late as 60 years after the death of Jesus. Friends, that is just way too early to start making up some kind of myth or legend. Usually you would do that hundreds of years after. I shared this on Easter Sunday, 1 Corinthians 15, which is written around 55 AD, okay? Paul says that there are about 500 people who are alive who saw Jesus, he even names some of them, and then he says, hey, go testify, go talk to them. If you could go talk to people, then it's way too early to make up a myth or a legend, because why? They know the truth, right? And, And people say, well, the early Christians believed Jesus was some kind of super rabbi, but the divinity of Jesus and the resurrection were all added later, I want you to know the very earliest writings we have in Scripture uh, are some of our most doctrinal uh, points in in our faith. They they very early celebrated the Lord's table. Okay, Very early they had communion. 1 Corinthians, which was written 53-55 AD, quotes a hymn that the early church sang about the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in Philippians. Also quotes a hymn a hymn that they sung celebrating Christ's divinity. So some of our earliest writings absolutely point to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So it's too early for a myth. The second thing I want you to see is that its content is way too counterproductive to be a legend. There's just stuff in there that you wouldn't make up if you were writing a legend or a myth. Okay, for example... On almost every page of the scriptures, these apostles, they're like buffoons. They make mistakes all the time. It's like the three stooges. I'm telling you, they literally, they're being mean to kids at times. And Jesus is like, no, let the kids come to me. And, you know, they're, you know, kind of arguing on the road who's the greatest. They're all puffed up in their egos. Those are things that you would not include if you thought you were just going to make up a, a mystery or a legend. And so also another example in the gospels. There's a story where Jesus is recalled calling Peter, who had become the, the leader of the church, Satan. And at one point he's like, "Get behind me, Satan." And you're like, "Wait a second, if I was going to you know, try to beef up my authority and make sure people really believe this, that's the kind of story that you would not include. One more that you, you wouldn't include. The Gospels record that women were the first ones to Jesus to see Jesus at the resurrection. Okay, a woman's testimony, I'm just telling you, in that day and time was not even accepted in a court of law. So if you were going to make up this stuff, you would, and you want to establish truthfulness of this claim, you would not have put women first to see them. But the gospel writers put women as the first ones to see Jesus. Why? Because it happened. It just happened that way. And so they're recording it. The third point I want you to see why this isn't a myth or a legend is that the literary form of the Gospels is way too detailed to be a legend. There's just so much detail in here. This is one of my favorites because, you know, a lot of people think that these parables were just fictitious and they had some moral meaning, but they weren't really real. Well, let me tell you, there's a lot of details in here, random details that have nothing to do with the main point to prove that scripture really is true and it's not some myth or a legend mark 436 it says this jesus was sitting in a ship and there were a bunch of other little ships do we need to know that there was a bunch of other little ships no that's a detail that has nothing to do with the point but they put it in there because that's part of it mark 14 you can go back to i shared this a number of weeks ago the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus having this really intense time. He's saying, Lord, if there's any other way, take this cup for me. And in Mark 14, he records a a detail that there was a guy that ran through naked. Okay. That's just like, wait a second. That doesn't even have anything to do with the point or the story. Why is that included? Because it's somebody writing from memory. And that's what happened. Let me tell you, if I told my wife, I'm going up to buy um, some jeans at Kohl's And I came back, she said, hey, did you get the jeans? I said, you won't believe this guy ran through coals naked, and it doesn't have any point of it. It's like, yeah, oh yeah, I got the jeans. So these details are just too descriptive, and there's no point for them to make these kind of things up. It's just very, also defeats the idea that it's a myth. And the last one I want you to know is that the message itself was way too costly to be a legend or a myth. The message that Jesus was Lord and risen from the dead didn't gain the apostles any power, any prestige. In fact, it cost them their lives. And we know that from the very beginning, those preaching the gospel were highly persecuted people. And that's what church history tells us, that the apostles almost all died unnatural deaths. James, the half-brother of Jesus, He actually, you know, would be stoned to death for his belief that Jesus was the Lord and that he had died and rose again. Uh, You saw in Acts 1:14, we just read, Mary was in there, Jesus' mother, and all of his brothers were in the upper room worshiping Jesus as the Messiah risen from the dead and as God. Okay? The brothers at first did not believe that he was, but what convinced him? The resurrection. It convinced him that it was true. And they were willing to die to testify to this. To say that these stories are just made up stories about Jesus means that, you know, they were just sitting around one day. Let's say the disciples went out and they were fishing. And then Jesus died, okay? And Peter jumps up and says, you know what? Wait a second, guys. Let's tell everybody he's resurrected. And you know what? Um, then we could be the leaders of this new religion, and um, the only thing is, let's tell them that Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, and we're going to give away all of our money. We're going to take care of each other and care for each other, and, and then when, we, when people try to attack us or come at us, we're going to just kind of let them on. We're not going to fight back, and maybe, just maybe, if we're lucky, we will all die as martyrs and probably a painful, you know, humiliating death. And Peter, all of them are like, yes. The disciples are like, I'm in. You in? You in? Yeah, I'm in. Who wants to go first? I mean, that's what it's like to think that this was all just made up. Peter would eventually die crucified upside down because he believed this and he saw it with his own eyes. So you see, if the resurrection uh, is true, then it makes sense that God would record an accurate version of all that Jesus wanted us to know and do. Otherwise, why waste the time and the effort to come and to die on a cross when the message would just get messed up and obscured and nobody would know it or recorded wrongly? Why? It's like you trying to find me uh, in Kansas City, but I don't give you the address. You just drive up to Kansas City. Well, let me tell you, you're no closer to me up there because you can't find me without the address. So you got you to gotta meet up, with see that it's true. So those are the reasons that I believe the Bible is true. And I'm convinced that the testimony of the apostles is absolutely true. So Jesus actually did raise from the dead and that he was on a mission to rescue and save us. And that was, he was truly God in the flesh. So that's why I believe the word of God. That, why do you believe the word of God? That's where you gotta dig in and say, why do you believe? I I read this quote that was kind of interesting. I'll close with, men do not reject the Bible because it contradicts itself, but because it contradicts them maybe you don't like what the scriptures say. You know, a lot of times, you know, I'm talking to people, they'll say, you know what, the Bible is just, you know, I can go with it for a while. I can go with it, maybe even 90% of the Bible, but that 10%, no, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't, I can't stand behind that, friend. It's either all scripture or it's all not. Jesus went all in for you. What if he only died for 90% of your sins? Uh, We're still up a creek, Right. So, friends, we've got to go all in and understand this is the word of God. Let it change your life. Let it move you. Let it, you know, wreck your life. Let it, you know, feed your soul and and encourage you. So that is the word of God. Friend, I pray that you would understand and have a defense for now why we believe that it's true and it's trustworthy. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we could um, dive into your word. And Father, your word is true. Father, thank you for the power that resides in the word of God. Father, help us to understand it and grasp what the Holy Spirit has to say and to teach us. And Father, may we grow in it. And Father, the passages that are hard for us, enlighten us, grow us through, strengthen us, give us wisdom to understand those passages. And may your your word be uh, for your glory, God. May it be fleshed out in, in the lives of believers, Lord, and may we stand true to your word. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Hear the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, amen. Have a blessed week.